Well, if you're new or visiting, it's a pretty cool day to join us, isn't it? It's not often that we get to uh, go right back to the very start of the Bible. Uh, I don't know if uh, uni students know this feeling, but I remember when I was at uni, that very first lecture of semester where you uh, weren't yet behind. Uh, it was, we were all on the same page, fresh start. Uh, it, was, it was a nice time. Uh, some quick logistics. Uh, as always, it's good to have a Bible uh, and good to have your Bible open if you've got one uh, to Genesis 1. Uh, also, if you're the type of person who likes to know where uh, you're going, I've got an outline for us. Uh, number one, asking the right questions. Number two, examining the source. Number three, what Genesis 1 does and doesn't tell us. Uh, and we'll finish with three implications. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, you can find that outline uh, on the Sunday Hub. Uh, I think it'd be good to pray. Uh, I've had a bit of an exciting morning. Uh, let's pray as we think about God's word together for a little while. Uh, Dear Father God, we thank you this morning for your people. We uh, thank you that we can gather together as your people uh, to hear your word. We thank you for all it tells us about life, the universe, particularly that it reveals who you are. Uh, We thank you that you are the God who brought life out of chaos. Help us today to understand your word as we think about it together. Amen. All right, I've got something for you to do. Uh, as we start off this morning, uh, have a think about this for me. If you could ask one question, uh, if you could ask one question about the world, about life, about absolutely anything you wanted, if you could ask one question and find out the answer, you would know the, you'd know the answer, find out the answer, uh, what would you ask? What's the one question you would love to know the answer to? In fact, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. What I want you to do is, if you're brave, just think, what's one question I'd love to know the answer to? Turn to, turn to the person next to you, just take 10 seconds, you know, 5 seconds each, 10 seconds each, just quickly share with the person next to you, if you could think of one question that you would love to know the answer to, uh, what's the question that you would ask? There you go, go. Don't be shy. All right. All right. That's enough time. Uh, if you could find out the answer to one question about the world, what would it be? Uh, I don't know what answers everyone had. I imagine some of us would maybe like to know about the future, like is there life after death, those sorts of questions. Uh, maybe some of us would love to know scientific type questions. I asked um. Uh, Simon over here, who's a scientist this morning, um, what he thinks the biggest scientific unknown is. And he said, well, if you go back right to the start of the world, you know, however it started, Big Bang, whatever it was, right before that, what was, what was life like right before that happened? What, what, what brought about whatever that was, the beginning of the world? Um, in our young adults group last year, we, um, we had a really good bunch of people. Uh, one of the guys would often share strange and interesting things about maths. Uh, things like prime numbers, like why are, there, why are there prime numbers? Like is there any pattern to prime numbers? What's the, what's the next biggest prime number? Uh, like no, no one knows, Lo- lots of unknowns. Uh, strange, hey, interesting. I mean not really interesting, but, um, but kind of interesting. I reckon, I reckon actually probably most of us don't actually care that much about science and maths though. I wonder if the questions we shared were maybe things more like uh, yeah, what, maybe why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much inequality? Maybe, um, why, what have I been put on this world for? Is there any meaning? Is there any purpose in life? 
I doubt anyone would have shared a question like this. It's, it's maybe just too personal, but uh, maybe some of us would ask questions like, why does my life feel so broken at the moment? Am I ever going to feel normal again when, when at the moment life just feels chaotic? Big questions. Well, as we come to the start of Genesis today, the creation account, some of the most well-known words that have ever been written, as we look at this today, I reckon most of us will be aware that there are some big questions that tend to be asked about this part of the Bible. Uh, the classic questions tend to be kind of the how questions, if you know what I mean. The, the how questions, how long did it take to, to create the world? Was it seven days? Was it longer? Uh, how exactly did it happen? Were things like evolution a part of it? Uh, how long ago did it happen? They're the classic questions, right? Maybe some of us would love to jump straight into those sorts of questions. But uh, what I want us to do today is actually start by trying to think about Genesis on its own terms and uh, trying to think about what questions Genesis actually wants us to ask. So I'm going to try to start with an open mind and look at the text together. Genesis is a great book, I think, to go to when we're asking big questions in life, uh, about life. But I don't want to give us this truth about Genesis to start off with. I think I don't think anyone could really disagree with this truth. Let me, let me put it on the screen. Uh, here's the truth that I want to start off, start off with today. Uh, the truth is Genesis answers some of our big questions about the world, but it doesn't answer every question. Genesis answers some of our big questions about the world, but it doesn't ask, answer every question. And that's, I think that's fairly obvious. I think everyone would agree with that, right? I mean, Genesis will not answer all our questions. It won't tell us who's going to win the footy this afternoon. I don't think Genesis has a clue to find out the next biggest prime number. But I think Genesis will help answer some of our questions. Actually, I think it has a lot to say about why questions, why the world is the way that it is, why we've been put on this world in the first place. You know, the word Genesis literally means beginnings. This is a book about where things began, why things are the way they are. This is a book worth looking at because it will answer a lot of those big questions that we have. There's a uh, cool movie I like. It's called I, Robot. I think it came out in the early 2000s. Will Smith, futuristic sort of robot movie. Recommend it. Uh, the movie begins with this guy, uh, Dr. Alfred Lanning. And Dr. Lanning has just died, unfortunately, in suspicious circumstances. And he leaves behind this hologram of himself. So that's what you can see on the screen. It's his hologram. And the hologram, he kind of pre-programmed it to respond to questions, kind of like Siri on your phone or um, your smart voice assistant. Uh, So Dr. Lanning has died, and Will Smith's character, who's a detective, Detective Spooner, he comes to investigate the death, and he comes and he tries talking to this hologram, and he tries asking questions, trying to figure out clues. Uh, But again and again, this is the response that comes back. Uh, Will Smith says, uh, why did you die? My responses are limited. You must ask the right questions. Who killed you? My responses are limited. You must ask the right questions. And Will Smith gets frustrated and he goes on for a while trying to figure it out. And finally, after trying all sorts of things, the detective asks, uh, why would you kill yourself? Why would you kill yourself? And finally, the hologram responds, that detective is the right question. And then it disappears. And it's asking the right question that gives Detective Spooner the clue he needs to unlock the whole mystery and begin the whole adventure of the movie. That's, that's just the start, so get excited about the rest. I think it's similar when we come to the book of Genesis. If we work out the right question to ask, the right questions to ask, then we'll unlock what the whole thing is about. We'll get a much better understanding of what it's trying to say to us. We need to ask the right questions. But of course, 
how do we know what the right questions are to ask about Genesis? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, well, the answer to that is to look closely at the text itself and try and work out why it was written and what it's actually trying to say. So we're going to do that together. Uh, we'll have a close look at the passage. I'll get it up on the screen. It'd be great to look at this and try and look at it with fresh eyes, try and think about what actually is this text trying to tell us. If you're following along on the outline, this is uh, point two. Point one, uh, we need to ask the right questions. Point two, let's examine the source. Uh, so here we are, the very first words in the Bible. I'm sure they'll be familiar to lots of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, do something else for me. I'm sorry I'm asking you to do so many things today, but uh, close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. And I just want you to think about what you picture when you hear these words read out. Close your eyes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do you picture? You open your eyes now. Uh, if you're anything like me, when you hear these words read out, you probably picture the, the world, the globe, that sort of hanging globe. You know, Australia's tucked away down here. Probably would leave Tasmania out normally. I always forget about it. Uh, this beautiful, majestic kind of scene of the world. But even in this first verse, actually, it's worth saying that this probably actually isn't what the verse seems to be talking about because what we're actually we're reading is what we're reading is an ancient document, probably written when the ancient Israelites were in the desert trying to find their way to the promised lands. Now, do you think an ancient Israelite would have a picture of the globe in their mind? I mean, we can picture the globe because we know what it looks like, right? We live in an age where uh, we have pictures of the earth in our minds, but it was only I looked this up, it was only in 1946 that for the very first time we ever had a photo of the world from outer space. So ancient Israelites certainly wouldn't even have any idea that the world was a globe. So we read God created the heavens and the earth and we think of the planet, but actually these words, heavens and earth, what they really mean literally is just the sky and the land. And think about it, if you were an ancient Israelite and you were living your whole life in the desert, you'd wake up every morning and you'd look out to the horizon what would you see? It's a bit like our little, um, our little Genesis series graphic. It'd kind of be this sort of scene. What would you see? You would see the sky and the land. You see the sky? Oh, God made it. You see the dirt? God made it. Everything you look out and see, God made it. When Annika and I were uh, married eight years ago, uh, we went on a honeymoon to Vanuatu beautiful part of the world, uh, island country, popular with cruise boats, probably not these days, but uh, we, were, we were there for two weeks. Uh, it's a long time to be in Vanuatu. We took a phrase book. Uh, we made an effort to get to know local people. We explored the local areas. Uh, it was really cool to see how everyone lived. Uh, but a couple of times while we were there, they had what the locals would call a cruise day. Okay, cruise day. What that means is that the cruise ship was visiting for the day. Uh, so it would be a busy day, heaps more tourists around, all the shops would double their prices. Uh, and basically, it's a good day to stay in the resort and get some reading done and just stay away from all the markets and that sort of stuff. And you know, the locals, they didn't actually like the cruise people very much, the cruisies. They would come in, they would be in a rush to get back to the boat, they wouldn't make an effort to understand things. Often they'd just turn up and be trying to find where the nearest McDonald's is. No offence if you've ever been on a cruise boat. It's just, it's just how a cruise works, right? Um, this is important to understand. When we come to texts like Genesis 1, if we're careful, we can easily, if we're not careful, we can easily come in and make the mistake of not trying to understand the world and the culture that we're in. 
We can just assume the world is talking on our level, answering our questions. You know, God made the heavens and the earth. Well, that's the globe, right? You know, there's got to be a McDonald's around here somewhere. The point is this. If we want to work out how to ask the right questions about Genesis 1, we actually need to do the work to get into the ancient world a little. A little. You know, get a phrase book. We need to figure out what's going on when the text was written, what issues the book was originally written to address. For example, when we get to our next verse, in uh, verse 2, we read these words. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is a typical way for ancient people to think about nothingness, formlessness, emptiness, deep water, nothing under control, chaos. This is how things began, with chaos. And then... God breaks into the world, takes the chaos, and begins to turn that chaos into order. That's what he does over these six days of creation. Now, let's think about the days. I don't know how much you've picked up as we read through, but this is very sophisticated writing that we're looking at. Uh, there's a lot of pattern, there's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of repetition in these days as God creates the world. Uh, we read this a number of times, and God saw that it was good, and it was evening and morning, the first day, and so on. One thing you might have noticed about the days, you might have picked this up before, is that the first three days kind of go together and then the second three days kind of go together. They kind of go together in two halves. The first three days are kind of about uh, creating or separating out these spheres of existence or realms. Um, I'll show you what I mean. I've even done a little diagram for you if you're a visual person. Uh, So on day one, God separates and creates the light and the darkness, the realm of the light and the realm of the darkness. He separates it out. And then on day two, he separates the waters below from the waters above. Ancient people, obviously, they knew the ocean was there, but they also believed that the sky was kind of a dome, kind of a vault that held more water above it, hence why it's blue. So day one, the light and the darkness have been separated out. Day two, the waters and the sky have been separated out. Uh, Day three, then the land is separated from the water. God has taken the chaos and he's separated things, divided things, put things in their proper place and created these realms, these spheres of existence. But the realms are actually still empty and they need to be filled. And that's what then happens in the second half in days four to six. So on day four, the sun and the stars are created to fill the realms of light and darkness. People often ask how was there light back on day one when the sun wasn't created till day four. But what you're missing is the flow of the story. It's about separating, creating realms, and then filling those realms. Back on day two, the sky and the waters were separated and those realms were created. And then on day five, the birds are created to fill the sky and the sea creatures are created to fill the waters. Back on day three, it was the land that was created and separated out from the water. And then on day six... Animals are created to fill the land. You're going to see this amazing flow and how deliberately and carefully this text is set out, can't you? Whereas back at the start in verse 2, we had chaos. Now we have a very carefully ordered world with things in their proper place. Like that great feeling when you've just finished reorganizing your pantry and everything is as it should be. As I've been saying, it's good to keep thinking about how this would have been understood in the ancient world. Uh, there's some amazing truth in this for the ancient reader. What, what we're looking at would have answered some of the biggest questions for our ancient readers. 
you know, back when Genesis was written, there were other creation stories around. Lots of those stories were about multiple gods. They were all fighting over the world, and it was sort of a chaotic playground for the gods. Or, or some of them talk about the world being created by a random fighting of gods. Uh, there's one famous story, it's a bit brutal, but it involves gods fighting each other, and then one god's head is cut off, and that head ends up forming the world, and that's how the world was made. But what we're seeing in Genesis 1 is actually exactly what our ancient readers need to hear. God is not a God of chaos. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order, carefully taking the chaos and shaping it. The world isn't created by random chance or fighting gods. It's carefully designed. It's here for a reason, for a purpose. That answered some big questions for people like the ancient Israelites who are wondering what their God was like. Actually, that still answers big questions for us in 2021, doesn't it? I mean, more and more Australians think that the world is just here by chance, that it's all random. Well, not according to the Bible. There is, there is meaning, there is purpose. We'll talk more about meaning next week. Uh, now, there's lots more we could dig into as we think about the first chapter of Genesis. Lots more details we could go into. Uh, at the end of the six days of creation, the pattern that we've been following kind of breaks. You have these two extra things. You expect the sixth day to come to, the, come to an end, uh, but instead you then have humans created. And humans seem to, seem to have this very special place in God's creation to rule over it and care for it. And then the pattern is broken again on the seventh day. Rather than work on the seventh day, God rests. And the seventh day doesn't have things like an evening and a morning. It seems as if the seventh day rest is actually the goal of those first six days. You know, it's, it's so important, the number of seven, that, number seven, that it's woven right through the chapter in all sorts of ways. Uh, the first verse of Genesis 1 in the original language has seven words, and then the second verse has 14 words, uh, two times seven for those who aren't so mathematical. It gets more subtle, but the word God is used 35 times, the word land is used 21 times, the word heaven is mentioned 21 times, all divisible by seven. God calls things good seven times. Uh, it's, It's just an amazing piece of writing, isn't it? And it tells us such remarkable things. Well, let's, let's pull it back now. Let's, let's think about it. We've had a look at the text. We're trying to figure out what are the right questions to ask about this chapter, Genesis chapter 1. Remember, Dr. Lanning from iRobot, we must ask the right questions. Uh, point three, then, let's try and sum up what Genesis 1 does and what Genesis 1 doesn't tell us. Uh, so first of all, let's think about those how questions that people love to ask about Genesis 1. And when they're given what we've looked at, do you think Genesis 1 is especially interested in questions like, how long did it take to create the world, or exactly how was the world made? Evolution, science, those sort of mechanical sort of questions. I, I think, to be honest, sometimes we jump straight to those questions, and we can make the mistake of being a little bit like those Western tourists who come in for a day and try and find the McDonald's. Scientific historical questions are things that, of course, we're interested in, being 21st century educated Westerners. But I think looking closely at the patterns, the imagery, the flow, it's certainly painting a beautiful picture, but I don't think it's trying to give us a scientific textbook sort of account. Especially considering our ancient Israelites, the original readers of the text, they wouldn't have been too interested in those sorts of questions. I also also don't think it's those sort of questions that are the most important anyway. Uh, think, think about this for a minute. If you, if you on your birthday uh, got a special gift that someone had given you and it was some sort of uh, kitchen appliance or some sort of kitchen tool or something like that, but you weren't quite sure what it was, 
what are the first questions you're going to ask? How many days did the manufacturing process last for? Can you explain the details of the alloys in the metal? Now, you want to know what it's for. You want to know its purpose, how it's going to make your life better, why the person's chosen to give it to you. It's the why questions that are really the important ones, aren't they? They're certainly the ones that the ancient readers of Genesis cared about. Why, why are we on this world? Why was this world created? What am I here for? Who is this God that we're following? Why has he chosen us as his people? What's he on about? What's he like? Surely we care more about those sort of questions as well, don't we? Uh, I mean, surely no one really cares about prime numbers or scientific things. Maybe some of us do. I mean, I know some people are interested in maths and, and that's a good thing, but I do think it's questions of meaning, of purpose, questions about who God is that Genesis 1 really wants us to think about. What does Genesis tell us? What doesn't Genesis tell us? My view is if you want to know about meaning, if you want to know about purpose, if you want to know about why the world is here, if you want to know why it is the way it is, if you want to know who made it, if you want to know why he made you, if you want to know what he thinks of you, if you want to know what he's got in store for you, what sort of God he is, what his plans for this world are, then Genesis is the place to look. Then Genesis is the place to look. Aren't they amazing things to think about? Wouldn't it be great to spend time in the book of Genesis thinking about these big questions? I do then think if, if you want to know the answers to questions about science and how old the earth is and, and things like that, you know, I think you might just be better off letting science speak for itself, if, you're on it, if I'm honest. I was chatting to a Christian scientist the other day and she told me she'd never seen any reason to find conflict between Genesis 1 and science. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think science asks questions about science and mechanical questions like that, uh, the how questions. I think Genesis asks questions about, well, the why questions, you know, why is this world here? And the who questions, who put this world here? Now, I'm going to finish in a minute. I'm going to give you three implications of what we've thought about. Uh, but I just want to have a quick word just in case. I'm sure there are a good ch- there's a good chance that there are some of us here this morning who uh, we do take Genesis 1 literally and scientifically, and it's important to you that we take Genesis 1 as scientific, historical truth. Uh, first of all, it's okay if you don't agree with me, but I do just want to say a couple of things quickly uh, to those of you who are thinking along those lines. First, I do want to be clear that I'm certainly not ruling out the idea that God could have created the world in six literal days, you know, only 7,000 years ago. Uh, I'm certainly not ruling it out. You're certainly very welcome to believe that. Uh, of course, God might have created the world that way. Of course, he could. Uh, there's no reason why he couldn't have. Second, I'm aware that there are lots of different ideas out there, different ideas about exactly how the six days are meant to be understood. And uh, I'd like to say, if you've got questions, if you'd like to dig into it more, uh, there's a couple of things. I've actually I put together a little bonus video for you today. Uh, if you go on our Sunday Hub and you look on uh, the sermon outline, it's down the bottom. What I did is I just put together lots of the different opinions out there on exactly how the six days could be understood. If you're interested, you can go and watch that if you want to geek out a little bit and get into the details. Uh, but also, if you've got questions, I, I just want to say that I'm very happy for anyone to ask questions. I'm very happy for you to push back on things, give me your counter-arguments. We always, actually at Trinity Church Brighton, we always like getting questions about absolutely anything. Uh, you're welcome to come and chat to me afterwards. You're welcome to fill in a contact card on the Sunday Hub and send me your questions. I'm aware lots of us might have questions, and if we do have questions, I'd, I'd even like to do a little bit of a Q&A and put that out there during, during the week and get some of those questions answered. 
Can I say, this is just my opinion. I, I've thought hard and I've, I've tried to think about Genesis 1. Uh, I, think, I think it's just talking about different things. I think it's just answer, asking different questions than your scientific, mechanical sorts of questions. I don't think it wants us to get distracted too much by those things. Especially if I've touched a nerve, said something you found unhelpful, please do let me know after church today. I'd love to talk more with you about that. Last thing I want to do is to leave anyone going away upset or offended. Uh, These are things that we can disagree over. I do think over the years, some Christians have pushed Genesis 1 as scientific, historical, literal, and you have to take it that way if you want to be a serious Christian. I think really we're, we're in danger of just missing the point. I think it misses what Genesis is really trying to say, and actually it can take people off the Bible. Good to wrestle, though, over these things together. All right, let's finish. I've got three implications to give you as we come to a close. I've argued today that I don't think Genesis is a book that is really actually about the academic sorts of questions, that it's a book that it's about real life, it's about application, and so if that's true, uh, there should be lots of implications for us. It should matter. It should matter for us in lots of different ways. So I've pulled out three implications. The first one is loving God's creation. As we've looked at Genesis 1 today, what picture have we been given of the world? We've seen a world that God created, a world that's carefully designed, a world that God said is good, a world that is wonderful and valuable, created with purpose. When we look out at nature, we can almost see this, can't we? I mean, sometimes you look out at the world and it's just so beautiful that it's almost like you can hear music. Like you can almost hear the world praising its creator. Genesis 1 is kind of like a song, isn't it? I mean, you know, the first day the light was good, the second day the sky was good. I'm sure we could write a kid's song about that. The creator loves his world. He says that it is good. So let me ask, do you praise God for his beautiful world? You know, did you see the eclipse on Wednesday? Beautiful. It's actually cloudy where I was, so I didn't see it, but If you did see it, remember the one who made it, who says that it's good. I did see some photos. Did you cherish and enjoy the good gifts of God's creation? Do you enjoy physical activity, hiking, spending time with friends, good food, good rest, good coffee, the chance to sit and watch a sunset? Do we we sing out to our creator in praise for his good gifts? Do Do we value people who continue on God's work of bringing water to creation? Do we value the office cleaner, the garbage collectors, the people who keep things running in an orderly way? Do we make choices that have a positive impact on God's creation? Do we think about how our choices impact the environment? Do we value other people who are also part of God's creation? Do we look at someone who's different to us and celebrate God's creativity in making different sorts of people or do we look down on them because they're different? Do we value gifts of creativity, art, Gifts which point us back to the original creator. Now, I think there is a danger, actually, that as evangelicals, we focus rightly on the cross and God's work in saving us through Jesus. But do we sometimes not think enough about God's work in creating? Also through Jesus, by the way. God's work in creating and sustaining his wonderful creation and how that impacts how we live. That's the first implication. Second implication, when life feels chaotic. Of course, it's well and good to say, well, God's created this perfectly orderly world but sometimes that's not how life goes is it our experience is that sometimes often actually life isn't orderly it isn't beautiful nature isn't singing the beautiful songs of creation it's dangerous and it seems to turn against us 
Life gets messy, things go wrong. We experience heartache, stress, brokenness, chaos. I'm sure in a group this size, there's plenty of us who feel like life is chaotic right now. Well, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to look back. Uh, We're going to look actually forward at Genesis 3 and then Genesis 4 the week after. Uh, And we will look closely at why the world is broken and how we think about suffering and why things aren't as they should be. Uh, But I do want to say this picture we've been given of God from Genesis chapter 1 is still accurate. The world might not have stayed perfect, but God is still a God who knows how to take the chaos, take the emptiness, take the formlessness, take the chaotic parts of life and carefully and deliberately bring about order and goodness. It's what our God does. It's what he likes to do. It's what he has the power to do, to bring life from chaos. How many times have you experienced something hard and yet you've seen God use that hard thing for good? To teach you, to change you, to remind you of what really matters. Our God is a God we can trust to bring us through times of chaos. He's the God we see in Genesis 1. And yet we still feel the pain of things not being as they should be. What we're really missing is our last implication, the approval of our Creator. There we go. As we read through Genesis 1, it's almost this picture of God creating this beautiful world, giving his approval. It's good, it's good, it's good. And God's creation is almost singing back to him, praising him. Our Creator says that we're good. Things are as they should be. There's no brokenness, everything in its its proper place. Don't you almost want to jump into this chapter and be part of this perfect world where everything is good and our Creator approves of us and we respond to him in praise. And yet, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that that's not the world we live in. That, in fact, we're not good. We don't live how God originally intended. We don't help make his world more orderly. Actually, we just create more chaos. He can't look at us and say it's good. In fact, when God looks at us, he says we're broken. That is, unless when he looks at us, he finds us in Christ. Unless when he looks at us, he sees us in his son, who came into his creation and died so that we could become a new creation. Because in Jesus, we can once again find the approval of our creator. He calls us good. And in Jesus, we can look forward to his new kingdom, where things will once again be truly good, as they were meant to be. Where we can once again sing the song of our perfect creator in a perfect world. Let me pray for us. To God, we thank you for this amazing chapter of writing. We thank you that you are a good God, a wonderful creator who's made this wonderful world. Help us to cherish your good gifts, Father. We thank you that we are not just here by chance, but that you made us. You designed us, you know us. We're sorry that we often fail to live how you would have us live, that we work against your creativity. Rather than bring about goodness, we just create more chaos. Help those of us who are feeling the chaos of life today. Help us all to know what it is to be found in Jesus, knowing that as we're found in him, that you do once again call us good. And we can look forward to living once again in a world that is as it should be. We pray in Jesus' name today. Amen.